kind of like how Moe's puts out like pictures of celebrities, but on the bottom of the portrait, if you look at all of them, they're lookalikes. Like they have like up in their restaurant, they have like a Michael Jackson lookalike on the wall. <laughs> yeah, <Wait>, really. <laughs> Why did you not mention this in your thing about the mythology of Moe's? That's hilarious. I forgot about it, and I actually Googled Moe's after that to check, and apparently uh, there's articles confirming that they only play dead artists on their playlist, but I know they don't, so I don't know why this is somehow so widespread that even, like, articles about Moe's mention that clearly false fact. Dude, could you imagine being Pitbull and eating at Moe's and you hear one of your songs come on and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and it's the beginning of an action movie. You look out the window and there's like five men in black suits with like guns out. Just a bunch of red dots come on to you. <laughs> and then he ends up getting saved by Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> Welcome back, Big Fact Freaks and No Cap Chaps, to another episode of Big Facts No Cap. The only podcast that's number one with First Nations and people who say Tarnation. Big Facts. No. Cap. That was like me whenever at uh whenever I accidentally told them at Chipotle that I like to order the uh the extra bread to make another burrito later. I was like, shit, you're not supposed to tell them that. <laughs> this is a scam you run on them. You don't let them know you're gonna make a burrito with it later. You just pretend you want the bread for no reason. Wait, that's what you do? You like you you kinda like whistle <laughs> while you walk in like <laughs> Uh, you're like on the phone you're like yeah an extra tortilla i mean i don't really know what you would use that for but okay i'll get if you hey honey if you want me to get one i'll get an extra tortilla for you did somebody say extra tortilla is that a thing what is that oh, yeah just give me one why not you know i feel a little goofy today it's a little rainy outside i'm a little worried so i'm just gonna get a tortilla to go just in case i need to cover my top <laughs> and then you use it to make an extra burrito that's how you get two meals out of your chipotle order and they'll never be any the wiser that's how you get them because they make you pay for the chips unlike moe's yeah well and they're expensive too it's like chips are not two dollars those are those are tortilla chips they're just like fried pieces of dough like what is i, I think describe yeah, i don't know that seems like one of those things where describing how you make it doesn't <laughs> doesn't really necessarily make your argument but i get what you're saying <laughs> the well, ingredients are cheap the ingredients are cheap and the like a method to make it is not like it's not like some it, it like you know i guess that could also describe like tortellini or whatever but yeah yeah that at least it's like you have to like handcraft each one not just drop it in a deep fryer <laughs> i will say though chipotle's chips are pretty fucking banging they are much better than moses chips like the lime that they add like the flaky salt Oh, you know what? Yeah, I was gonna say, I think it's the, uh, it's either kosher salt or, like, rock salt. I don't know what type of, like, bigger salt yeah. it is, but it is, it is nice. The bigger salt on tortilla chips is nice. Still not worth $2 or whatever, like $1.50 or one ninety nine. I don't know. If I'm going to Chipotle, I'm going to drop some cash anyways, you know? Well, we're not all making grad student money, Adrian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're not making a million dollars a year like Paul. <laughs> we're not making the five million that grad students make. All right, Paul, how's, how's your week been? How how you been doing, dude? My week? Um, it has been good. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's been... Oh, I re-signed up for the old school Netflix. 
DVD.com, so now I get DVDs mailed oh. to me. Yeah, I was getting to the point where there was a lot of movies I wanted to see, and they weren't on any of the streaming services. And I was like, you know, I don't watch that many things. I'm not, like, a big TV hound nowadays. Or... Now, more of a poon hound than a TV <laughs> hound. <laughs> yeah, much more of a poon hound. You know me. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> um... There is a lot of, like, movies I wanted to see, and so I was like, I would rather probably see a movie every couple of nights that I actually really badly want to see than be forced to pick something from an endless stream of, like, what's forced on me by streaming services as, like, ooh, we got the rights for this this week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you've just been ordering uh, episodes of The Office so far? <laughs> yep, so far. <laughs> Watching three episodes of The Office at a time. One DVD comes in, watch the three episodes, send it back. <laughs> Two days later, the next <laughs> the next CD comes in. Uh, no, but I guess that basically leads into your media roundup, though, right? So uh, do you have any good suggestions from what you've been watching? Um, I mean... I've been watching some good stuff, nothing that I feel the need to be like, go, go, f- since these are all explicitly things that aren't on, uh, that aren't on streaming services, nothing that I'm gonna say you need to go pay for or take your time out to grab. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited for, for tonight, after we finish recording this, I have A Hidden Life, which is the newest, uh, Terrence Malick film. Uh, so that came in today, so I'm pretty excited to watch that love me some terrence malick uh i forget what comedian said it somebody once made a joke about him that's like terrence malick is like you can watch one movie you can watch one terrence malick movie like a decade but more than that it just kind of gets old and (laughs) now that we're in 2020 baby it's a hidden life i did uh, a tree of life last decade so (laughs) oh wow you're really uh as soon as we flip to the next decade, you're really going straight for it. Nah, I'm just, joking. Uh, I've seen more. I've seen more, but... <laughs> it, it I was just going to make a joke definitely. about you. You definitely would have been one of those kids that took the marshmallow before you were going to get two marshmallows. <laughs> and then oh, ended up in a life of crime and misery. You think I should have waited for 2005? Or, or 2025? <laughs> yeah, 2025. At least. I think we got a little bit lost. Um, any media roundup on your part, Adrian? Uh, yeah, I've got a got a hefty old media roundup. Um, let's see. I watched the movie Society, uh, '80s horror movie. Uh, pretty fun, pretty dumb. Uh, and actually, I probably should have watched it in time for. Well, maybe I'll I'll bring it up again when we do like an actual classism episode because it has a very central premise and uh theme around uh how the uh, rich treat the poor um mm. so very very cool movie uh i had a whole lot of fun with auntie donna's big old house of fun um oh nice nice yeah i'm a big auntie donna fan yeah yeah six episodes super easy to binge super funny uh if you like um if you <laughs> like uh comedy bang bang specifically the show uh you would definitely like auntie donna it's got the same kind of absurdist humor and actually, so uh, we talked about Open Mike Eagles album a while ago, and we never made good enough promise to review it. But one thing that about Open Mike Eagle is that he released a music video that featured Paul F. Tompkins, because Paul F. Tompkins is a fan of him and their friends. Paul F. Tompkins is also an Auntie Donna's for a little guest role. And I just want to give a big shout out to Paul F. Tompkins. Like, I think in terms of uh, role models for how to, like, get slightly older in age, but still be hip and with it. And, like, he has good political opinions and, like, 
people respect him and he has like cool interests like liking open mic eagle like uh what a, what a dope dude for being slightly older um i mean his wife kind of sucks but <laughs> oh no <laughs> now even if he did listen to this episode he would come out being like jesus i'm not happy with these people um, yeah yeah i know that sucks i don't want paul to not like me i'm sorry i take it back your wife doesn't <laughs> suck she's just kind of the worst sometimes <laughs> oh you said she has some like kind of like liberal like tendencies she made a joke about how for new year's she was gonna dress up as twitter and make fun of all the people who call her neoliberal on there oh so literally just such neoliberal tendencies that she's getting ragged on for it and is insecure about it yeah and it's one of those things where i feel like paul doesn't agree with her but he just uh yeah i don't know she also has this whole funny thing of pretending that she's silent she's like well i want to talk about this well I'm not allowed to talk about that. And Paul just like, no one's telling you not to talk about it. Talk about whatever you want. It's our podcast. Um, she's just a, yeah, she's a trip, you know. Shout out to the Lebanese. Uh, Funny people. She's Lebanese? She is, yeah, from Charleston. Ugh. Ugh. Charleston, Lebanon. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of things in common with old Paul. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just call me the old <laughs> No, 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 no. Just that you're from South Cac, and you're from Lebanon, too. Okay, a couple other things for Roundup. Uh, for some reason, I got kind of drunk one night and decided to rewatch the last season of Samurai Jack. And those first few episodes are so fucking good, dude. That was like, mm. I was that was such a lit period of my life was when Samurai Jack came back. And like the first three episodes fucking delivered so fucking hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, re- rewatch those apps, man. Uh, they're, sure. they're super fun. Uh, also, yeah, the rest of the series after that is just kind of okay, though. Um, but it did make me interested in checking out uh, Jenny Tartakovsky's new show, Primal. Uh, and that was also quite good. I haven't gotten super into it. I've only watched two episodes. Uh, but no dialogue. It's about a caveman and his dinosaur uh, going across a hellish, violent landscape. And it's fucking awesome, kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, no music or anything this week. So uh, that's uh, that's about it for me. I have a movie that, I'm much like Paul, I'm uh, looking forward to watching a movie after we record today. But... I watched half of it last night and fell asleep, not because it was bad, it was just because I was tired. Um, but the first half was really, really cool. So I'm excited to see what the uh, rest of the movie has in store for me. And uh, I'll maybe talk about it next week. Okay, yeah, so my holiday plans, that's a good question. Uh, so we're actually rendezvousing in Portland this year, so I will be driving up to Portland. Uh, my parents were very much trying to get me to fly to Portland, and I said, no thanks, I'll drive. <laughs> <laughs> So is is this like a situation where the expectation is that like your mom will just cook everything in Dorley's kitchen or is Dorley going to like since it's her house she's going to cook? <laughs> no, we're not going to let Dorley cook. <laughs> okay. I, I was just yeah. worried for you. Was all. The expectation is that the the senior woman will do all the cooking and cleaning while my dad and I watch soccer. <laughs> Being an immigrant is nice, my dude. Uh... <laughs> it's a sweet gig if you can get it. um yeah no i'll probably help my mom with a with some of the cooking um and then uh yeah dorley will just uh host oh shit you know i just realized we have to cut all of that those are my christmas plans not my thanksgiving plans i never go home for thanksgiving or like i never like meet up with my family for thanksgiving that's not a big enough holiday for any of us to travel at all i think we're just gonna leave that and this so people know okay yeah sorry i totally got that twisted yeah for thanks for well i don't celebrate thanksgiving first of all and then I'll be doing a Friendsgiving with the same people I've been doing Friendsgiving with for the last three years in Davis, which I'm looking forward to very Wait, much. so you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but you're going to celebrate Thanksgiving with your friends. Friendsgiving. I will be celebrating Friendsgiving. It's the Friendsgiving. same holiday. 
It's the same holiday. Nope. So you are you like you celebrate Xmas but not Christmas like Festivus. Adrian, things evolve, language evolves. You can't just be stuck in tradition. Yeah, that's why I made a neologism. I've only seen that word written, never said before, but uh yeah, I made one of those for Friendsgiving. That's what I celebrate. As I said to that one student who wished me happy Thanksgiving, uh that I was uh teaching during a biology lab, I don't celebrate colonial holidays. Ooh. Which I respect. Um although Friendsgiving you you is is a is a good way to get around that because I mean I do like I do like Thanksgiving food a lot of the yeah, time. Pretty we'll, long, we'll, yeah. yeah. So just changing the name up a little bit and pretending it has nothing to do with the slaughter of the indigenous people of this continent is is a nice way to still get the food without that guilt in your stomach. Guilt free, baby, and I'm not not talking about calories. <laughs> but anyways, going back to your plans, Paul. What 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 uh what are your Friendsgiving Thanksgiving traditions? No Friendsgiving this year, although I do love Friendsgiving because it's kind of just the second Thanksgiving usually. But um but yeah, this uh this Thanksgiving just having it with my family. You did hint at something where we actually need to talk about more this episode. The issue of this holiday and the issue of of Columbus Day, which is basically holidays worshipping a genocide? Seemingly, if you actually look... Like, people don't think of it as a genocide, which I guess is, like, the redeeming factor of it. But if you actually look at the history, like, I think any intelligent person would come away with, yeah, we probably shouldn't be celebrating these things or yeah, these yeah. people. <laughs> um, luckily, most people I don't think are celebrating those nasty negative parts. They're thinking of, like, a very, like, cartoonized children's version of it. But I don't know. What What are your opinion? This week we're talking about... We're talking about indigenous peoples. We're talking about Thanksgiving. We're talking about the holidays and the people these holidays surround and kind of mock in a sad way. Yeah, you know what? Actually, so I think what we're doing by um, kind of having our Thanksgiving episode be about indigenous peoples is that I think we're refocusing it more than anything because I feel like for most of my life, past like elementary school where like they make you dress up as native americans to celebrate thanksgiving or they like really play up like the pioneer and uh or what do you call it a pilgrim or uh yeah indian aesthetic like once you get past that thanksgiving really does become a holiday that doesn't have a whole lot of recognition or connection to those ideas later on like do you find that like to mm. me thanksgiving didn't really have like a message to it past that time of my life like it just seemed like a holiday that people get together and eat no i mean the only thing you learned was that it was like the pilgrims were starving the native americans brought them <laughs> brought them a bunch of like free food because they were too like starving to eat and that's yeah, yeah. when they gave thanks for the like being able to eat and mm -hmm. the, then they all got along and that's why we give thanks on this day <laughs> um, right right about you're right like that was the explanation but more than that it really was like an aesthetic holiday kind of like how christmas is an aesthetic holiday about snow and red and trees now and it's really disconnected from any sort of meeting so now i i would say like other than like i te i knew that explanation technically but i don't even think i thought about the explanation i really thought about like pilgrims and indians and their outfits was like the mental mm -hmm. imagery that popped into head do you remember those uh 
those snacks mom would would bring in they would bring them in for saint patrick's day and for thanksgiving and thanksgiving they would be contextualized as pilgrim's hat and on saint patrick's day they would be like leprechaun top hats but they'd be like a graham cracker with a big marshmallow on top all covered in chocolate and then i forget what it would be like some sort of gold icing as a buckle on the hat whoa i never got any of those yeah they were good <laughs> no i only, i only got the ones where they crush up the oreos and like the cream and they put like the uh gummy worms in the cup and so it looks like dirt with worms in it that's what they made us eat yeah you had shitty parents in your uh as your parents like class moms who made snacks for these holidays i think it was chocolate pudding with crushed up oreos to make it look like dirt and then gummy worms it was actually pretty lit i actually need to like recreate that at some point in quarantine <laughs> um but yeah i never got um edible hats yeah, no, the fuck? they were little pilgrim hats. Once again, I remember the kid seeing those for like Thanksgiving, and then you'd see them for St. Patrick's Day recontextualized mm. as like a leprechaun stop, and I was like, "This is bullshit." Yeah, so you guys definitely had just one mom who specialized in that, right? <laughs> like, I guess no that way. must have been it. This can't be a universal experience. <laughs> for Arbor Day, she just like slightly decorates them differently. Um, okay, yeah, sorry. Let's recenter. I always get us off track talking about food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess that's what I would, yeah, my point would be that I think uh, what Paul and I are doing is we're really refocusing in on the heart of what Thanksgiving uh, supposedly celebrates and uh, how we should maybe go about uh, thinking about it in the future. That makes us sound like we're doing something way heftier than we actually are. We're just making a comedy podcast. Yeah, we are still being very stupid. Do not expect it. Please, please don't be mad at me if I say something wrong or offensive. I, I mean everything in uh, in the best face that just interpret everything in good faith and don't be upset at me yeah paul is, is this ring you do your leprechaun bit and hopefully the irish don't come after you <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i had to uh do that the other day where we were in a, a meeting uh talking about content for our animal behavior blog and someone mentioned this uh, whole thing about how many animals use drugs in different capacities and how many animals like get drunk off of fermented things and they're like oh yeah that's fun we should uh post something about that like around saint patrick's day and i was like i think that would be considered culturally insensitive <laughs> if we did that um <laughs> but like everyone in the room like immediately agreed that'd be a funny and cool idea and i was the only one i was the one who had to be like hey guys like i'm not trying to be that guy but i don't think that's okay <laughs> i mean it like they're objectively right it would be a funny cool idea but you're also right that it would since it's like <laughs> it's a science blog it would be kind of hurtful to <laughs> take a stance as moshe, <laughs> as moshe kasher says it's not a stereotype it is a socially irresponsible misunderstatement <laughs> yeah i just i don't know if like if somebody comes to a comedy-based publication i think they're expecting to see stuff like that when somebody goes to a science publication i don't think they're prepared to see jokes about their <laughs> about their ethnicity <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's probably true <laughs> Um, all right, so, uh, Paul, what do you want to say about the theme that we, uh, what are we officially going for today? Indigenous people? It is one of those things where we've, uh, we've had a very recent, um, switch up from what people said, because, like, for the longest time growing up, it was, you know, you don't call them Indians, call them Native Americans, and then now there's, like, the second wave of, uh, Indigenous peoples, First Peoples, First Nations, um, I don't think there are that many, but yeah, there's like a couple Yeah, First Peoples is mostly like in Canada. In Canada, it's First People and Inuit. In America, yeah. it's Native American, Indian, Indian American. Um, and then obviously, better than all of those would be knowing individual tribes. Um, yeah. Because it's like calling somebody Asian instead of <laughs> uh, instead of knowing what sort of country they're from. Just calling everybody, oh, they're an Asian person. I mean, like, 
right? I guess in some sense, like if every if every tribe could be considered Indian, then so could you. You're just like, you know, your people are from another group of people on this continent. So, but obviously, we don't call like uh, uh Central American Native Indians. We call them either like I don't even know. What what would your indigenous heritage be called? Just like indigenous Guatemalan? Uh, I don't know, because apparently, according to my mom, we're from too far south in Guatemala to be Mayan. Mm-hmm. Although we might have some Mayan blood in us, and she didn't know what the name of the tribe um, that lived in South Guatemala uh, is named. Um, she's also not sure exactly, like, yeah, what uh, our ancestry is there. She said it'd be cool if we were Mayan, because they're pretty cool. That's what <laughs> That was a direct quote from my mom. <laughs> I mean, once again, objectively right. <laughs> These people, you know, are knocking it out of the park, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we were talking about it earlier, she was like, yeah, it'd be cool if we were Mayan, but I think we're from for too far south to be Mayan, so I don't know what the... And then, of course, within Mayan, there's a bunch of different tribe names, too, but tribe names. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually had a uh, lengthy... <laughs> Uh, I, I, I regret the article that I chose because I had to do a lot of reading. I had to fucking educate myself. I had to talk to my siblings about shit. Uh, I had a busy morning of like preparing for this for my article this week. Scrambling to learn about your heritage. <laughs> yeah, I had to actually fucking learn shit this week. The bullshit. So, I'm I have no indigenous because I'm not from a I'm not from a country that was colonized in that type of way where people like settled there and took over or if they did it was so long ago that it's all been mixed in too much to like think of like one population of the people there as indigenous versus the other um Mm -hmm. everybody there is you know arab currently so you're right it's i guess it's mostly like the new world australia's australia and pacific where there's indigenous peoples yeah, any any comments? I guess this is kind of this is this is up to you to lead Adrian. You know, I uh I give space for people of color by POC to tell me their their stories. I don't want to I don't want to step on your <laughs> I don't want to step oh. on your space. Yeah, well, I I wouldn't consider myself indigenous, so you don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, really? I thought like that was Dorley's whole thing. <laughs> oh, that's Dorley's whole thing, but <laughs> <laughs> since what if Dorley and I agreed on things <laughs> wait wait so do you not cons- I, do you not consider yourself do you not consider yourself indigenous from like a technical state like you don't think your ancestors were original peoples or I, I don't know like or you just d- don't identify with the identity because you've just grown up in like away from other indigenous people so you just think of yourself as American Ooh, I don't know if I want to talk about this or wait until we get to my article, to be honest. That was part of my education today was like starting off with the assumption of like, oh, yeah, I think I identify as an indigenous and then reading about it and being like, oh, no, never mind. Take that back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's like a very recent thing that I like after I did some reading that I decided. Well, maybe we should start with your article. I'm going to I'm going to say that most likely and I haven't really delved into this article. So this is coming from a point of pure ignorance. It's going to be because you don't you don't interact with the community and you don't follow any sort of like ethnic or indigenous like uh practices or cultural uh like cultural holidays and that's why you don't think of yourself as indigenous because of your lack of connection to like an indigenous community no it's because i'm an american first and foremost (laughs) american first 
Christian second, New Yorker third, Bostonite fourth. <laughs> uh, I'm Mom's apple pie fifth. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're you're getting on you're you're getting on the right on the right lines. Okay, okay. All right, cool. So I guess we're just gonna jump into the articles. I'm I'm actually interested to hear yours because I want to hear about this research you did. I'm like, <laughs> maybe we'll finally actually have some real like educating ideas on this show. Like, I I want to know. <laughs> Nah, I'm just gonna make fart jokes. A poopy poop doop. <laughs> a poopity whoopity poopity poop. <laughs> Poopity scoop. Adrian, Adrian, Adrian. What if somebody was on? What if somebody was like at the zoo and a monkey pooped out at the cage at them? And it hit them in the face. And then they had poop on their face. <laughs> Man, that'd be, now that'd be that's so an funny. idea. That's great. That's a podcast worthy idea. What if that person was like a fancy person, like they were a professor, so they were in like a nice like jacket, and, <laughs> and he was like, like was looking at his spectacle, and he was like, "Ooh, let me take a closer look at this chimpanzee's bum." <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can see the posterior is raised. This is a, a classic behavior of the chimpanzee right before their defecation. <laughs> oh, I do declare, I've been downright splattered. <laughs> Now Never that's comedy. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, here we go. This is from Surge DC, which, once again, we are the only podcast that exists, but given another shout out to Politically Reactive, I first learned about Surge like five years ago from their podcast, um, and it's uh, standing up for racial justice. It's kind of like, a, as far as I know, um, it's kind of like a space where white people got together to be like, hey, let's stop bothering people of color with our questions and just learn together. <laughs> um, and that was kind of like the idea behind this group. Um, Seems like one of those things that might not work out without a person of color to like give them their opinions. <laughs> That'd be like if me and you got together to talk about women's issues. Like, let's stop bothering women. Me and you could just do we not already do that. Make... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could get together and figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I get what you're saying in theory. I feel like it's not that hard for white people to get together and read, like, like actually yeah. read Martin Luther King or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here's the quick little bio for uh, the Surge DC advice column. Ask Anne uses the familiar style of an advice column for white people to ask other white people their questions about race, racism, and white supremacy. Our goal is to take labor off of people of color, make the anti-racist movement more accessible, and bring more white people into racial justice work in D.C. The project honors Anne Braden, who was a white anti-racist organizer, journalist, and leader in the racial justice movements in the South. She worked from the perspective that white people have a self-interest in dismantling white supremacy. So here is the question for Dear Anne. Wondering about the L in BIPOC. Yeah, this is also one of those terms that's a little bit newer. Uh, I think I had to teach Doralee what BIPOC was like a, at the mm. beginning of quarantine, maybe. Maybe it was a little bit longer ago. But um, it's definitely gotten in rapid use. I mean, I think there was a, a Ecology Letters paper um, published earlier this year that used this term as part of their central thesis. It is like one of those things where I'm, it seems like a perfectly fine uh, delineation of a group of people but it also is like those like larger lgbtqa things where it's just like when do when is bipoc just gonna have to add a plus like when are we gonna like i mean it used to be poc for a lot of years but now that we've opened that floodgate by adding another thing like when do i get my letter on there and when do we need to just add a plus for all the uh, letters that come flooding in 
I think it happens after many, many years of white stand-up comedians <laughs> making jokes about how there's too many letters well, in BIPOC. I mean, we can't destroy the stand-up economy. We gotta give them their opportunity to do that before we add the plus in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gotta give them something. Um, Alright, well, this is precisely about adding more letters into BIPOC, so let's hear what uh, the question is. Dear Anne, I have read that the term BIPOC seeks to highlight black and indigenous people and their unique relationship to white supremacy, but I don't understand why Latinx people aren't included in that. I understand that black and indigenous people have experienced horrific things in this country due to white supremacy, but it seems like Latinx people have as well, especially as is seen with what's going on at the border and the dehumanization of migrant workers. Can you help me understand why they are included in the latter POC category? Wondering about the L in BIPOC. All right, so the thing about that is it's like a very topical issue with the uh, with the election and people like coming to terms with the fact that there were white slave owners in in Brazil and much in of Sa- and in Cuba <laughs> and in much of South America like there are white Hispanic people and they hold a lot of the same privilege as white people in America which I mean they are still people of color once they've immigrated to America but I don't know if most of them don't see themselves as people of color and especially mm-hmm. within their own country they basically hold a lot of the same dynamics as white people uh white people who live in America so it's kind of a it's definitely like a topic that's on a lot of people's lips i haven't really thought about it enough to say i have some fully formed opinion but that that's just kind of like one of the things that's been pitched as like hey well all of you who are so shocked that you know hispanic vote went so much to trump you got to like realize who and what these communities like where they come from and what sort of politics they represent coming from those countries they've immigrated from yeah for sure i mean i think that's definitely lesson one for people is that white latinos are a thing and i think in america like they're a pretty significant proportion of latinos in america uh, or latinxers and in it's one of those complicated things where i don't really know the breakdown country to country but there are countries where um like within the country their census forms are are you black or white or indigenous or mestizo which means like mixed like there's no like the concept of latino and hispanic uh i know hispanic i think is an american invention i think latino is a french invention um but yeah they're definitely terms that have been created outside of central and latin america and south america to describe groups of people and it's not really how they see themselves yeah um and it's yeah it's one of those things that is like a term that's almost too broad to be useful yeah i mean the only thing it's useful for in america is like it basically means immigrant from central or south america yeah and so even within those countries there are still divides between white people and black people in those countries as well as indigenous people and um yeah like you said i think it closely resembles what we see elsewhere in the world so Um, so here's something i will say i think this is the first question where i don't feel like coming out guns blazing answering it i don't really know my my explanation like my guess for why maybe maybe latin x just hasn't been added yet maybe that's the next one like i was making a joke about maybe that's the next letter maybe it will be by lock by lock why wouldn't it be blypoc blypoc Maybe that'll be the next, like, upgrade to the uh, lettering. Um, or maybe there is a reason that somehow Latinx people are apart from what the BIPOC uh, terminology is being used for. I do, yeah, usually I come out with guns blazing, throwing advice at everybody, but I don't think I have some fully formed opinion on this. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, it's one of those things where <laughs> talking about it with my brother and sister is always interesting because they kind of we kind of all agree, but we also all don't agree uh, on how we think about this. Um, I think it's very transparent that when we come to an understanding about where we're from and what our actual like lineage is and the fact that we're mixed. Um, I think it's a very clear thing that Dorley has a, a real, a real hatred of having any kind of association with whiteness. Uh, and the idea that like, um, there's definitely quite a bit of like Spanish white blood in our family. Mm. Um, and that not, and not being necessarily included in this term, I think for her would be like an issue. Like she would definitely want to be a part of this, um, block of, of kind of like particularly marginalized people. That makes sense because she's always like vying more and more to that end of like that end of identity politics. But the thing is, I will yeah. say a lot of times, Oh, whereas my brother made a joke that he tells people in Belgium that he's white and then just watch them get mad. <laughs> but your brother is the most white passing of you uh, three. But that's what I was going to say is like a lot of times with these things, it really does come down to how people treat you. Right. And to me, you yeah. look pretty indigenous. Like, I don't know. If th- I don't know what looking indigenous means. I don't know if that's problematic. I oh, my God. Like... Thank you, Paul. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> You you definitely don't look at all like white to me. I don't know. Um, you look like how when I think of like a Guatemalan. Actually, you kind of look of how when I think of a like a Samoan or a Hawaiian. But number two on my list of what you look like is Guatemalan. <laughs> <laughs> um, indigenous Guatemalan. So <laughs> I don't, and I think there is something to like you are what people treat you like in America. Even if you are like if you have like mostly white parents and just somewhere down the line you have a black parent if you look black and people treat you black you kind of just in america you kind of just are what people treat you as in a way yeah unfortunately is how much of the nuanced discussion nowadays goes into like kind of the varying types of uh these groups of people that are represented with such a broad stroke uh, at the end of the day i think what you're saying holds a lot of truth like we were talking about like mixed because uh, i was talking about how like i basically settled on the fact that i racially identify as misti- uh, mestizo so I have some indigenous blood. I have some amount of colonizer blood. Whereas, uh, and so Dorley was like, well, it was mixed a race. And I was like, I don't know. I think it's a race in the same way that like people who are black and white say they're mixed. Like, and she was like, but there are people who are mixed who uh, just identify as black. And I was like, yeah, sure. I think maybe sometimes if you have like a clear delineation of what your history is and like who your ancestors are, you can do that. But for us, like we really do not know. And it's really about who, how they're treated based on how they look too, was what I was kind of getting. I, yeah, I totally agree with that. But also my point to that would be, well, no race is real. I mean, mixed is as real a race as black or white because like black and white aren't race. Like what race is real? All these things are like varying, varying like constructs and they're all gradients. Like who's more white? Like, uh, a North African person or an Arab person because they're more similar to each other than they are to a sub-Saharan African, but they're, you know, it's all like a gradient moving from one region to the other. Nobody is, there's no actual blocks of people. There's no blocks of people. Everything is like a fuzzy zone, um, encompass, and it's a fuzzy zone that moves and changes much more frequently within groups than it does for our distinction between groups yeah absolutely and i think this is where i'll quickly get into like the rhetoric of it so 
the whole idea of identifying as indigenous, there is a whole camp of people who are kind of making the argument that um, it is a uh, capitulation to white supremacy and to identify as mixed, which I kind of had an immediate aversion to of kind of being like, I don't know, it seems like you're just stating facts, but um, there are people who are kind of like, you need to embrace the fact that you have indigenous blood, you should identify as indigenous, you should put it very first and foremost in your identity, uh, and you should, you know, represent it strongly because they've been trying to erase us for a long time. That's where Dorley falls. There are also people who kind of argue that, um, basically what you were saying earlier, so by claiming indigenous when you don't actually have any real connection to uh, those roots, which, I mean, I think in the same way like black people, like there's very sad reasons why we don't have connections to those roots, but uh, at the end of the day, we are far removed from from that actual like ancestry. Uh, and so in the same way that like, <laughs> in the same way that Liz Warren can't claim uh, Native American <laughs> just because she has blood relatedness in some percentage, uh, that argument doesn't hold water for them when they're saying that, uh, and this is another one where like it seems like a lot of people kind of speaking for Native American or yeah Indigenous peoples and kind of what they've said, but the idea being that according to leaders and Indigenous thinkers, it's more than just ancestry that makes you an Indigenous, and that claiming to be Indigenous as part of your identity, if you don't really have an actual tangible connection to any kind of tribe right now, uh, actually just waters down their causes, it waters down their visibility, and it's actually directly harmful for Indigenous people. And so it's really interesting because we have two groups of people who, for different reasons, say that you are harming indigenous people, whether you do or do not actively claim to be indigenous. And so it's kind of like you're fucked either way. But I kind of fell on the side of maybe I have to have like a whole sentence now where when I, people ask, I have to say I have probably quite a bit of indigenous blood. I am mixed and I do not claim to be indigenous as part of my identity. <laughs> With your right hand on the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I was getting like whiplash from the conversation when I was just like following comments in a blog where I was like, "Oh yeah, that person does seem right," and then I'd, I'd read the response calling them an idiot, and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that person also seems right." Uh, and I just did that for a long time before I was finally like, "Okay, yeah, I think I, I think I know where I land." Whereas I think Dorley is like Dorley's been talking to our mom a lot. She's been like trying to figure out our family history. She's been like trying to figure out like trying to trace our lineage as far back as she can. I think it's a much more personal thing for Dorley and not calling her out. But yeah, I think also a big part of it is kind of like trying to prove that she's not white. So I'm sure it's more nuanced than that. But yeah, I think for Dorley has a lot, a lot more of a dog in, in the fight of trying to figure out our family's history. But for me, it's very obvious that we're mixed and we have no um, current connection to any actual indigenous. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's connected to like the fact that there's like cachet and power in current like id poll communities and being able to identify or claim certain uh certain <laughs> identities but i did want to just push back on one thing you said i don't think it was right for you to attack the first woman of color professor at harvard university so i i'll, I'll just give you some space to <laughs> apologize to elizabeth warren right now if you want to <laughs> If you, if you uh, want to take that <laughs> opportunity, I think we'd all appreciate it. First female POC. That's how she was in the Harvard Book okay. of uh, Professors at the time. How she was she was listed in the women's in the POC professors like handbook or something as the first woman POC. Liz Warren, person to person, it seems very clear that according to the indigenous communities, uh, ancestry alone does not mean anything. 
How about one per how about one percent blood quanta on your twenty three and me? Is that enough? Yeah, precisely. Yeah. That's uh precisely the uh kind of uh <laughs> like colonizer thinking that uh the it's like the first point in the conversation when people talk about whether or not you can claim being indigenous is uh don't do that. <laughs> so yeah, anyways, that's uh that's a sum- summary of like all the reading I did this morning and how I feel about things. Dude. Very cool. I actually feel like I learned something for the first time on this podcast. And like I said last episode, it <laughs> turned out to be our funniest episode yet. <laughs> As I wrote to my siblings, all right, well, I'm going to land on mestizo, Guatemalan, American, Latinx, literal can of garbage. <laughs> that is my identity. <laughs> um, he, him, can of garbage. He slash him slash can of garbage. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, so since this is being answered by a white person, I'd love to hear what their answer is going to be. So, uh, Paul, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into it? I guess, was that an answer to the question? It wasn't really, right? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's kind of like what you said, where it might be the next thing that gets included. I really hope that the uh, person who answers this starts off by saying, wait, 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 what's going on at the border? (laughs) (laughs) Look, we haven't actually been, like, reading anything. We've been discussing amongst ourselves what we think the answer to these things are. Has something happened in the news? <laughs> we saw it something would... happening at the U.S.-Mexico border? <laughs> <laughs> that would be an awesome answer. <laughs> also, things that I forgot to do. Uh, Adrian's Beer Corner really quick. This is going to be one of those disjointed episodes. Um, I forgot to mention that I was drinking a pretty unique beer. It's a, a tangential chocolate oatmeal stout from Jackrabbit. Uh, it is a oatmeal stout, their classic oatmeal stout, uh, with tangerines and salt added to it. Damn. Um, and it's not as interesting as it sounds. I was to gonna be say it's actually kind of that mellow. sounds delicious and like interesting, but I guess not. It's pretty mellow, but it's pretty good. I mean, you definitely get some citrus, and uh, it doesn't really taste salty. It's not like uh, uh, Westbrook's Goza, where like you like it literally tastes like you're kind of drinking salt water, but in, like in a really good way. Um, mm. No, yeah, it's just it's pretty mellow, and it's uh, it's got some it's got some nice notes to it. I would I'd recommend it. It's a smooth brew. Nice. Um, okay. Okay. Do you want to get to this answer? Yes. Okay. All right, Paul. So, like I said, neither of us really answered the questions. Let's see what this crack-ass, uh, honky-ass motherfucker got to say about this. Uh, Dear Wondering, thank you for your question. You're not alone in your curiosity about the origin of the term BIPOC. First of all, we want to make it clear that as white people, we, have, we always have to be open to learning and adjusting our language according to the preferences of people who are being referenced. Controlling who can be called white and how non-white people are referenced has been used again and again to serve white supremacy and influence who has power and who doesn't. Secondly, we'll just be honest. We don't know why there isn't an L in BIPOC or all the factors that went into coining this term, but we'd like to explore the question. While the term BIPOC, Black Indigenous People of Color, can be traced back to 2013, the recent emergence of the term into national discourse has led to numerous articles written about it in just the past few months, including this one from the New York Times, aka the New York Crimes, and this one from Vox. But while the pieces explain why BIPOC gained prominence as a term, there isn't an explicit explanation of why Latinx communities aren't given a letter in the acronym. While people of color emerged as a people-first term to supplant denigrating references, many have found the term to be homogenizing, serving to turn vast populations of color into one monolith. Thus, BIPOC emerged as a more specific term explicitly naming black and indigenous people alongside other communities of color. 
And while black and indigenous as terms are connected to the early constructions of race, Latinx can be viewed not only as a racial identity, but as an ethnic identity, referring to people of Latin American descent. For instance, there are black Latinx people and indigenous Latinx people, just as there are black French people or indigenous Canadian people. So Latinx can be seen in any and all components of the term BIPOC. A uh, race used to categorize people by physical traits, characteristics, or appearance is socially constructed and not a fact of biology. White Europeans constructed the idea of race to dehumanize African people who were kidnapped from their homeland and enslaved. Uh, developing the concept of race helped European invaders codify chattel slavery and anti-blackness in the American colonies and destroy unity between lower class whites and African people as well to justify re the removal of indigenous people from their own land so it could be stolen by white people. Definitions of race were created and manipulated from the early days of U.S. history to the advantage of white colonizers from the one-drop rule used to define who was black and could legally be enslaved to maximize labor and profits to the blood quantum rule used to minimize indigenous sovereignty, promote assimilation, and reduce the U.S. government's treaty obligations. Recognizing the violence perpetrated against black and indigenous people since the beginning of our nation's formation is critical to help us recognize their current forms in the U.S., and be more nuanced in our discussions of race and racism. Latinx people have also experienced racialized violence and discrimination in the U.S., including mob violence, lynching, segregation, and mass deportations, and the unconscionable family separations, detentions, and inhumane treatment of migrant workers you mentioned. Yet some would argue that the stories of Latinx cultures, contributions, civil rights struggles, and victories are not being highlighted as much as those of Black and Indigenous people, especially in some parts of the country. It is important to remember that using any term to group a number of humans together needs to be done with care. Be open to learning more about why a term can be harmful or uncomfortable for individuals or groups. Consider using the most specific term possible when referring to a particular group so as to not invisibilize the uniqueness of their experience and identities. And know that every individual has the right to decide how to identify. Just as people call for more nuance than the broad banner of POC, we're seeing a continued push for people to embrace a greater level of specificity, lest BIPOC replace POC to only become equally as reductive. In solidarity, Anne. P.S. You may be interested in some of these resources, and there's a whole bunch of extra resources. That that one part where where they said, understand that people um that people should have a right to be identified how they want to be identified. I think that was like really brave of them to come out for in favor in support of Rachel Dolezal like that, somebody who's been vilified by our society. Uh, I also kind of got that vibe from that one, but you know. <laughs> um, I didn't take it with uh, Paul's Venom. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they literally somehow are the one where we were like, all right, we don't, we can't answer it. So let's look to the experts who should know. They were like, oh, oh boy, no, don't ask us. <laughs> 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 like, you're writing an advice column. Don't pick it if you can't answer it. I don't like this. Oh, we don't know, but let us uh, explore it. <laughs> Tactic. Yeah, they could have replaced all of that with, uh, hey, let's not talk about that. <laughs> Uh, that might be a little unfair. I'm glad they explored it, but I mean, they're explore. I wish they'd taken a, like, I don't know, it was funny that they started with, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a very satisfying answer, was it? No, not at all. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man, maybe uh, one one of these days Latinxers will get their day in the sun, but <laughs> until then, we gotta be covered up by the blanket of BIPOC. By the blanket. But you can, of course, um, identify how you choose to identify like they, uh, like they mentioned, so I think you should just go with indigenous, not mulatto. Or what? What did you say you identify as? <laughs> Mestizo. <laughs> Mestizo. Yeah. No. Wait. Hold on. What was I gonna say? Uh. Oh. Yeah. So I think part of the way you can answer this question, if you wanted to take it seriously, is something about proximity to whiteness. But 
because at a like because i don't really ever see i don't know actually let's not get into that <laughs> yeah i don't know it was a kind of disappointing answer and i think we also don't have the answer but hey we didn't we didn't start a column to answer indigenous or we didn't start a column to answer questions about whiteness and race and ethnicity and then pick that question. So I don't understand. Like, I think we have a pass for not giving a satisfying answer while they, on the other hand, are seemingly just terrified of like staking any piece of ground and making a statement. <laughs> um. Yeah, actually, I think your one point was pretty spot on. Like, if if they weren't going to have a very good answer to this, why not pick like the dozens of uh, white fragility questions that I'm sure they get every month? <laughs> yeah. Why not pick like whatever I imagine their most like common question is, which is, you know, in my office space, there's like, um, it's like a mostly white office space, but there's like one black woman who works as a cleaning lady. And I just wonder if she feels uncomfortable in working in an all white office. <laughs> is there a way that we can make her more comfortable? Like, should I tell her that I would never think about touching her hair? Would she appreciate that? I told her <laughs> that I would never touch her hair. What do you think, Anne? <laughs> Sincerely, Fred. <laughs> Either that or their most obvious, like, most asked question, which is, if people can call me Cracker, why can't I call him the N-word? <laughs> <laughs> their most asked question is from my favorite type of white person, the N-word scientist, who just tries all day to come up with reasons why they should be allowed to say the N-word. Their most frequently asked question is from Tom Hanks's son. <laughs> Oh my god, can we actually, I'm gonna, we're gonna download one of his videos where he's speaking in a path one, cut that in here. <laughs> <laughs> White fragility, it's a real ass thing. I, I've heard bad reviews of the book, but uh, it's a real ass thing. I was just thinking about that yesterday, actually. Yeah, so I was watching a um, a YouTube video where a, a creator talked about one of their past works where they didn't realize that the G word that people used to refer to the Romani people was a slur and considered insensitive. And she's talking about like how much she regrets that. And it made me think about my old roommate who was uh, a white woman with a real like um, when it came to race stuff, like a real aesthetically liberal, but like old white man attitude at the end of the day. <laughs> um, where like I remember her using that once and like, it, 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 like, you know, it's me like in the most neutral way possible. I was like, oh, by the way, I think we're trying not to say that now. And her immediate response was like, I'm going to argue with you why I should be allowed to say it. And me being like, I don't, I, okay, whatever, dude. Yeah, I mean, I know you. You're not going to care enough. You're just going to be like, whatever. But like the fact that their immediate response is like, I, I that you're, it feels like you're attacking me. And so I need to like defend myself. I have a right to defend myself. Since we've talked about Rastafaris, I brought in actually my favorite Rastafari advice columnist, <laughs> Amy Dickinson, for, um, Ask Amy. So she's somebody we've actually brought in before. Her columns get posted in the Washington Post, but they're syndicated out. So specifically this one we are going to link to that I found this column in is in the Detroit Free Press posted. And since this is like a column about wokeness and indigenous issues and Thanksgiving, I will tell you the date since that's pretty important for these topics because these things evolve very fast. So what is considered normal now is not what was normal a few years ago and it's definitely not what was no normal in the early 2000s. So this was posted August 9th, 2016. So the question is, Dear Amy, my boyfriend of two years and I will be hosting Thanksgiving for my family for the first time. I know it's a long way off, but I'm already worried about it. The fly in the ointment is my aunt's boyfriend, Bill. Are we gonna 
Arena, go ahead and just like agree with the question asker that the fly in the ointment is a legitimate phrase. It, it's clearly not. I, I thought she was trying to be like quirky with the her wording because she's like, this is my big shot to get my writing into uh <laughs> into the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> you don't think that there's a chance that it's like an old colorful phrase? No. It's it's a it's a fly in the soup that that's what ruins dinners. I don't is flying the ointment. I don't know. <laughs> the dubcon finger in my butthole <laughs> is uh, <laughs> my aunt's boyfriend Bill. Okay, yeah. So the fly in her ointment is her aunt's boyfriend Bill. Not only is he her former marriage counselor. Ew. Wait, is that not what marriage counselors are supposed to do? <laughs> is prey on people? <laughs> I've got some calls to make. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in school for the wrong thing. Not only is he her former marriage counselor, ew, he has offended and alienated every member of the family he has met. Bill gives unwanted and offensive advice and opinions on topics that do not in any way relate to him. Before you give him the benefit of the doubt, believe me, we did too. He was included in all family gatherings, and we made an effort to welcome him in as long as he was making my aunt happy. He doesn't, but she won't leave him. She's in her 60s and is afraid to be alone. Last Thanksgiving, at my cousin's home, it was my boyfriend's first Thanksgiving with our family. I didn't keep a close eye on him when he engaged with Bill, but I did notice that he became a bit withdrawn after the fact, and was ready to leave as soon as it was polite to do so. On the way home, he filled me in. My boyfriend is part Native American. He identifies strongly with his heritage. Bill went on at length about how stupid and inept Indians are, all the while bragging about his contacts in the community. My boyfriend was offended. I was offended and furious, and my mother was livid. It was the final nail in the coffin for her. I do not want this man anywhere near my boyfriend, much less in my home. Is there a tactful way to let my aunt know that her boyfriend is not welcome at our gathering? I am a generally tactful person, but I have no tolerance for racism and bull. So I can't really think of a- And standing bull. So I can't really think of a way to sugarcoat my feelings. How to say it. Signed, protective. All right. That's a spicy yeah, one. So this is literally somebody who took the time out of Thanksgiving to insult a native man and explain to him how white people are better and then brag about how like he knows like how to get things done in like the res. So in the res i'm gonna go ahead and say it like this is a pretty cool guy i don't know what the question asker's issue with him is like that reminds me of uh i think it's been a while so i'm allowed to do one more this time uh of since i've just done someone stand-up bit but natasha legero's bit about having uh italian relatives who like try and talk like they're in the mafia even though they're like a school teacher natasha you need anything highlighters <laughs> construction paper pencils you come see me okay <laughs> If this guy needs anything from the Native American community. Hey, you need anything. You need a dream catcher. Well, no, I'm not going to get into stereotypes about Native American communities. You need that um, really cool but, uh, multicolored yeah, the... maze. Like that corn that's all the different colors. You come speak with me. You need the PC. You need the pretty corn. You come to me. <laughs> Dude, that corn is cool, though. It is cool corn. It's CC. That PC is CC. <laughs> I wonder if he, do you think, uh, I know this obviously isn't the right way to go with it, 
But how Native American, do you think he's like one of those white people who talks about how they're like a 30 second Cherokee? I think that might be likely, but I don't know. <laughs> do you think she like he, he showed up in 100% Native American garb like out of a cartoon and he, it was like very obvious he was Native American <laughs> and Bill wasn't catching the hint? Or do you think like it's just a normal white dude and he just identifies like as like my granny was? Oh, yeah. So I guess um they didn't really talk about this. Did Bill start talking about it because he knew he was Native American or did he just was that like a topic of conversation he just stumbled upon? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to assume it's because he knew he was like Native American. Maybe he had like a cool, you know, people <sighs> from like very specific cultures. You know, they always have, like, a like if they're mostly, like, look white, they always have, like, a cool necklace to tip you off that they're, like, so people will ask, like, oh, interesting, mm, or, yeah. like, they'll have, like, a tattoo or something, and you're supposed to ask about it, and then they'll go on their, like, little spiel about their identity or who they are. Sure, sure, sure. So I assume he was wearing, like, a nice little, like, dreamcatcher necklace, and Bill asked, oh, what's that about? Yeah, I don't know. It's not totally clear. I mean, obviously, it's not excusable either way. It's just, like, it's an interesting part of the dynamic of, like, uh did he say oh i'm native american and then bill was like hey so you're an idiot or uh was it like bill like at, at every thanksgiving he's always just ranting bill about like, how oh, inept indians bill was like, are oh, let me grab you a beer oh oh we better not you know how your people are anybody want to play some blackjack uh, oh wait it was like that episode <laughs> of seinfeld bill was like ah oh, don't be an indian give oh uh. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't jerry also do like a like hand over the mouth like kind of like um sound during that episode I think he too does. what are the mistakes he makes in that episode he she he she gives him a tv guide and then she wants it back and he accidentally almost called her an indian giver he asks a male dude in the neighborhood uh if there's any good asian places around and then he turns around and it's an asian man it's, and he, yeah, he's yeah. like oh you think i should and he's like no i just thought like the postal guy knows all the restaurants um, <laughs> oh yeah he does the mouth over the hand scream Whenever he's giving, uh, he's giving Elaine a, uh, like, one of those, like, statues, like, those traditional Indian statues. Yeah, like, yeah. He shows up at her, this is when he originally meets the girl, he shows up at her place with one of those statues, and he gives it to Elaine and does, like, a very offensive, uh, scream. <laughs> and yeah. that's, uh, <laughs> thank you for listening to Seinfeld cast, where we, where we do a re- reenactment of every bit from Seinfeld. And then Kramer says the N-word on stage, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. During the ending bit of that episode? Personally, I thought that was a little bit too far, but, I mean, it killed in the 90s, so who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Different time. We just didn't know back then. <laughs> Can you imagine a dude in, like, like a very old German guy just being, like, different time, but we just didn't know back then? <laughs> we didn't know back then! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Uh, advice for this person on how to deal with a racist yeah, no don't let him come to your house fuck him <laughs> what a piece of shit make sure it's very clearly marked on your front door you have a big sign that says you must be this not racist to enter <laughs> i don't know why why was he saying that to your boyfriend what an ass like it's not even the racism it's just like even if he was talking to your boyfriend was like insulting his career or insulting his like house or his like family like i don't know you, you don't insult people to their face <laughs> just kind of a dick you don't you don't have any obligation to let him into your house you can tell him to fuck off i mean it might be hard with your uh aunt and stuff but if if it was truly as grievous as it sounds like it was i i think you totally are have a point and she would have to be respectful of that yeah this also seems like the kind of thing where um i don't know if it's a white person thing but it is something where like my dad 
would never have this problem. Like my dad's a very blunt person. And so like for him, if he didn't like someone in our family, he would just tell them like, oh yeah, I'm not inviting you because I don't like you. And that's like what I would have learned as a kid as like, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, so for me, this problem would have never Did that probably ever come up. Did your dad uh, it, like, it just... just stop inviting a member of the family to like the house? Well, we never really invited people over anyways, because uh, we were, we were not, we're not very popular in our family. <laughs> um because uh, we're like more unconventional and we're not religious and stuff uh, which is a big deal for them but yeah no i think my dad has like definitely like said blunt stuff like that to family members um i think uh my mom says or my mom wishes he would be like more blunt with certain parts of our family but uh yeah i think there's certainly been times where like my dad will just be like uh yeah i don't like that guy so <laughs> i'm not gonna talk to him right now Whereas I think my mom has more of the like neurotic thing that she gave to all of us children <laughs> where like uh, the lesson I've learned from my dad is to be blunt about it. But like, I think in reality, I'd be a little bit more like this person where I'd be like, oh, how do I how do I try and do this without hurting people's feelings, even though kind of fuck this guy. I think the thing with this is like, it's pretty clearly you're within your right to tell him to fuck off and not come around you or your boyfriend. But it's one of those things where it's like, how does that break down in the actual effect of what happens in your family? Like, does she then have her own parties and not invite you and other people go there and then it creates kind of this, like, falter or this, like, break line in the family and then not everybody gets to see each other? And are you creating, like, some sort of issue that's going to mean, like, everybody's unhappy for years to come because you don't get to see each other at family gatherings anymore because people have to pick sides honestly i think this would be a really good commercial where like he goes to the thanksgiving and he's told he's not welcome and so he goes to the store and buys a big bag of doritos and then comes back and he's like am i allowed in now and she's like all right <laughs> get in here doritos, doritos bringing people together perfect apology for racism <laughs> <laughs> That was their new advertisement campaign. <laughs> so good, people will forgive you for being racist. <laughs> they just try and mark it, it off of white guilt. Uncancelled. Ooh, dude! Any food that could promise that, yeah, would probably that'd yeah, be a pretty good doing campaign. Every episode of this pod. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you already don't like this guy. You already think your aunt should break up with him. Either don't invite him or invite him and roast him the whole time. Me, his passive aggressive racism was just outright like insults to his face that's what i yeah. would do that you know you landed on the advice of what i would actually 100 percent do in real life he, i would have a writing session where i sit down and think of jokes to make fun of him <laughs> yeah become really mean to his face that's very legitimately a good way to let people get the message you're you're in home territory it's at your home so you should feel kind of like you know uh like you're you got that home field advantage so really go after him really be aggressive Ooh, paul 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 real quick big counterpoint mm -hmm. to everything we've said so far what is white person Thanksgiving without a racist uncle? Ooh, that's true. That's true. Answer me that. Aesthetically speaking, what what is it? Like, what what is a child's birthday party without a drunk uncle? You know, what is a Thanksgiving without a racist uncle? Like, I don't want to be disrespectful to white culture and say that you're not allowed to invite him and have what quintessential experience right. is. You're right. I think that would be culturally insensitive for us to suggest that he doesn't come. He is dating her aunt, so he is an uncle yeah oh my god i think he and needs to be there everybody an opportunity to deploy like their buzzfeed the cut style articles where they're like how to deal with your racist how to <laughs> how to handle your, your racist uncle like yeah. they're gonna need to use that advice somewhere so they need a racist uncle at thanksgiving to use that advice 
Yeah, I think he's doing. Um, he's probably not even racist. The, what the he's long not even game racist. is, he's playing the part. Because he's just he playing the role to one. unite people. He's uniting people with their hatred of him. Holy shit! This guy's a hero. You probably really love goes to show that I've kind of been like a smug asshole about it. Sometimes you peel that onion back one more layer, and it changes your perspective. You're looking at it from a whole new direction, and everything you thought was true isn't. And everything you thought was not true is. All right. Well, yeah. I hope that's what the answer yeah, is. Yeah. Damn. Oh, also, um, before we read the answer, I know before we've talked about how Amy's kind of like a boring advice columnist and gives like very boring cliche answers. Mm-hmm. Any opinion on whether or not you, you think this is going to be like, do you think she's going to blow us away or you think it's just going to be like a very like uh, cookie cutter answer that you would expect about like making sure to be comfortable while also making sure your needs are met? I think Amy's got some venom in her, so I want to oh, see. Oh yeah, really but she has been venomous, especially in in the very specific case of towards racism. Towards racism, she does answer those with a lot of like. Yeah. Yeah, so she might not give like the tacit be polite answer. She might give the venomous answer. Okay, dear protective, you shouldn't have to sugarcoat your feelings. You do need to be clear about your intentions, respectful about how you explain yourself, and calm while you handle the fallout. If you don't want this offensive person as a guest in your home, you'll have to tell your aunt and or him. Because of Bill's offensive comments towards my boyfriend last year, he is not welcome to come to my home when I host Thanksgiving this year. Ooh, I like it when advice columnists do this, like, here's your script thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Understand that your aunt will likely be very upset and may choose to stay away too. This could also cause all parties to relitigate the original incident. Be prepared. Dude, when she uninvites Bill and then Bill has his own Thanksgiving to counter protest, <laughs> he does like a deep fried turkey and he like everybody gets a gift bag with a like new iPod touch in there. <laughs> 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 and like really racist trinkets. <laughs> also understand that you are riding on the very crest of irony, Thanksgiving wise. The original feast was a celebration of different cultures coming together peacefully for one day. Boo, Amy, boo. <laughs> Amy, clearly it wasn't. But as countless families prove each year, one day is one day more than many can manage. She was, like, basically right on track with what we were saying right up until she was like, yeah, he's not in the spirit of the original Thanksgiving, which was all about loving and not genociding each other. Yeah. If there's one thing I know about the first Thanksgiving, is they were like, y'all, in the future, let's just agree no genocide. Uh, yeah, so Paul, thoughts on that, thoughts on that answer? Amy hates racism, which is a good thing. (laughs) Let me be clear, is a good thing, but also she did manage to make the answer boring by not actually attacking Thanksgiving as a concept and defending it as a concept at the end. So are you saying that part of your answer to this would be just don't celebrate Thanksgiving at all, cancel Thanksgiving? No, I think they should just call it Friendsgiving. I think it should that, be That's a good idea. Answer to Thanksgiving. Sounds like a smart idea. <laughs> How do you feel about jumping into segment three? Uh, I am excited for this, baby. I got opinions. And I think this is going to be a good opportunity for Paul and Adrian not to uh, necessarily agree, because I think there's enough room for um, controversy and uh, uh, screaming matches. The controversy is very impactful to people's lives. Like, the arguments can tear apart friendships. It's kind of like a Mario Kart or Monopoly, like, or Risk, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, this is, mm-hmm. is going to be, this yeah, might yeah. map out the future of this podcast. It might realign how we feel about each other, how we feel about this friendship, how we feel about about life in general, really. All right, let's rank these races. <laughs> let's rank these races. Now, we are ranking 10 different 
Thanksgiving food staples. Now, a lot of uh, a lot of you might have different things your family makes on Thanksgiving. Me and Adrian came up with this list of ten Thanksgiving food entrees, desserts, with ten canonical Thanksgiving items. Please do not come at us with your comments about how you guys make uh fucking monkey bread pasta casserole for Thanksgiving in your family. We don't care. It's yeah, not quirky. Exactly. Fuck off. That's what I was trying to get at. This is our list. If your list is different, um, write down your list on a piece of paper and then eat it. <laughs> All right, Adrian, uh, you actually have the list. So if you want to go ahead and run off these uh, 10. Oh, also, you wanted to uh, introduce the idea of a tier list, which for anybody who doesn't know, a tier list um, is something that often is created for video games, with especially fighting video games with multiple characters. And basically, it just ranks what character is best in the uh in the game and most likely to be used in competition going from s uh, as the uh top tier and then below that it just goes alphabetical a through uh however low you want to go f seems like a pretty good place to stop but also it's evolved into kind of a meme format from there where people will create tier lists of every anything or everything so yeah a couple things on that really quick the reason I know what these tiers are and why it was familiar to me is because it's the uh, weapon tier list mm. in uh, Fire Emblem. So you start off as like a an E tier for your weapon, and then you get to S tier, which is the best. And then because I have had to explain it to people who didn't, it didn't intuitively make sense to them because they don't play video games or whatever. I had to look it up, and it is based on the Japanese grading oh. system, um, uh, for like actual schools. But uh, yeah, no, S tier is the best, and then it goes A downward. Um, so. Yeah, we're going to be ranking them um, as such. Uh, And let's see if Paul and I can come to an agreement on any of these or all of these. I would like to hear the whole list before we start so I can sort of get an idea of what everything's going up against. All right. So our top 10 Thanksgiving treats are as follows. Turkey, mashed taters and gravy, stuffing, cranberry sauce, green bean casserole, Creamed corn, Hawaiian king rolls, mac and cheese, sweet potato casserole with the mallows, pumpkin pie. Nice. And there yeah. you have it. I'm there Very with that. Conventional. I would, the only thing I can think of last second is maybe corn on the cob. Corn on the cob? Get out of here with your bougie ass. Bougie ass. Corn on the cob. Bougie ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have fresh produce where all I right, came all from. All right, all right. Okay, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that list then. Um, you want to jump into it? Yeah, the one quick meta thing I'll say is that the thing that I always make for Thanksgiving is mac and cheese because outside of, like, South Carolina, Georgia, and North Carolina, it's not really a thing, uh, which is super sad. Like, if you have a meal and you can add mac and cheese to it, why Wait, would you not? Wait, is it really not? Mac and cheese is... Yeah, no, it's... Are we not... sure about this? Yeah. It is not a what? conventional thing anywhere else. I am very sure about this, yeah. That seems so wrong. <laughs> I know, right? It really does. So let's start off with everybody's favorite, the main star, the Gobble Gobble. Ooh, we're starting the with Turk some Deluxe. controversy. Okay, I would put it D. Um, so I actually said this earlier over the phone to Dorley and Zach. Unless it's bacon wrapped or deep fried, I'm giving turkey a solid D tier, yeah. We landed on, I thought this was going to be controversial yeah. opinion. Yeah, turkey doesn't do it for me. I think it, it might be outside of the show. I don't think it is mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is like our opinion on pets all over again. People are going to come after us. 
to be ready. <laughs> this is going to be the new what problems have you had with the pod <laughs> for people, for guests. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like it's not a particularly flavorful meat. It oftentimes comes out very dry because people don't know how to cook a whole ass turkey yeah. very well. The only thing that makes it good is when you take that gravy from the uh, potatoes and gravy and get it on top of the meat and then. Sure. And you know what? Actually, I once got made fun of during a meal um, because since I was a little kid, I've always had a habit of if anything, if any kind of dinner or meal comes with a roll, I will always make a sandwich that has basically everything on the plate into a sandwich. Um, mm. And uh, I got made fun of that once for someone calling me childish for doing that. I found out recently that there is a. Yeah, so I think there's a Farsi word that translates to little bite, but it like describes the practice of if you're served a meal with some kind of bread product, almost like injera in like Ethiopian food, the the practice of taking a little bit of that and getting like a bite of everything on the plate in one little go, uh, that like you know that's that's part of that's like has that's a thing that's common enough to have a name. So to the person who made fun of me for that, I wasn't being childish. I was being culturally, uh, I was being a real globe trotter. Um, yeah, so for me, turkey's only good when you, like, kind of have to, when you have to add all of the tartness from the cranberry and the richness from the gravy, it's not really good on its own. That's true, but also, if we're going by that standard, when we do cranberry sauce, I also wouldn't eat it on its own, but I don't think we would, I would rate it as low tier because it is a side. Or do we take that into account that it's a side? Oh, well, cranberry sauce isn't even a side, it's like an accoutrement, right? Like, it's like a, it's literally like a relish, like, you gotta... You gotta, you know, judge these things based on what their purpose okay, is. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the turkey works. I I don't hate turkey, but l- like, like we mentioned, you need some cranberry sauce on there. You need some brown gravy on there. Um, you you gotta get it in with other things, or as you would do, you need to turn it into a little sandwich, and then you can up it one or two tiers. Sure, 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 sure. But baseline turkey's D tier. All right. Same page. All right, mashed taters in Ooh. gravy. B or C, somewhere somewhere in that area. Um, let me like zone in. Ooh. Let me zone in. C. I do not agree with C tier. Ooh, interesting. I would go A or B. I would get. I would go A or B tier. Mashed taters and gravy are great. Well, mashed taters and gravy. Okay. Uh, you know, it's not the most like flavorful dish. It's also one of those things where like, depending on how extra the person making them is, they can be like amazing or just kind of okay, you know? They could do the whole Michelin star, you know, put it through a ricer and make sure there's no lumps and then put like a shitload of butter in it. Uh, but I think even like mediocre mashed potatoes are still like a pretty enjoyable okay, side dish. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that. And plus, because I use the gravy on everything else, I would up it if we count the gravy from potatoes and gravy, from mashed potatoes and gravy. I do think that that's what makes the turkey and makes up ends up making a lot of the rest of the dish good. So maybe that I should raise it one or two tiers because of that. Uh, okay, so I'm landing on A tier for that. Are you going B tier or C tier? B tier. Okay. All right. Okay, we'll give it a B tier. B tier. All right, stuffing. Stuffing. Ooh. Or as some people call it dressing. I really like stuffing. I really like stuffing. It's a little dry, but if you cook it in the chicken in the right way, I'll go A tier. I actually think that is the difference, is that it's stuffing if you cook it in the turkey, it's dressing if you make it oh, outside okay. of the so turkey. stuffing is easier then. If it's a good, if it's a good stuffing. Um, yeah, I think stuffing is almost like one of those things where people can get a little cute with it, where they, like, put too many raisins in it or something to try and, like, you know, up the contrast and the sweetness or something. Uh, sometimes individual recipes can get a little weird, but a good classic stuffing for me is definitely A tier. The only thing keeping it out of S tier is the fact that it is the number one reason people get um, food illness oh, for really? Thanksgiving. Oh, really? Because the, like, turkey doesn't cook, like, through into it, or? 
Yeah, basically like like the turkey juices or whatever get into it and it doesn't fully cook before you end up taking the bird out and taking out the stuffing or whatever. That's not, oh yeah, I learned it from Alton Brown, as you might imagine. I didn't know that. The other thing I'll say about stuffing is that in, even in addition to how it is on the actual day of, stuffing's a pretty good leftover food too. Solid A tier for me. All right. Not as much controversy right. as we thought Graham, <laughs> so far. This this might for listeners of the podcast this might not be a surprise. <laughs> uh, cranberry sauce. Oh, okay. I'm gonna go A or B tier. I really like cranberry sauce. I really like the tartness of it. And I know you make fun of people who say the tartness really uh evens out the uh, savoriness of a dish, but I think it tastes delicious with some turkey. I think it's along with gravy the kind of like saving grace of the of the main protein of the thanksgiving meal i would absolutely agree i would think maybe b tier um just because because it's in a kitchen wall um, and it would it's kind of, like i don't know if i had a big spoonful by itself it'd probably be a too tart to really enjoy no i mean I, I mean i think even like stuff that you get from the can is like sweeter than yeah like what you would make homemade for cranberry sauce and i still enjoy the stuff from the can um i think for me it's like kind of how i looked up typical thanksgiving foods and i found out that like pickled items are like a really big thing for thanksgiving and uh, no, I mean, like, I make fun of it, but like, it totally makes sense. Like the reason why you want to have like, you know, kind of like acidic biting elements to a, a, an entire meal, um, especially when that has as many components as Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah. Cranberry sauce has a very obvious place and an obvious role in a Thanksgiving dinner. It is also one of those things where I think I mentioned in stuffing that people try and get cute with their recipes for it. I don't know if I've had too many people try and do like an elevated take on cranberry sauce on Thanksgiving. I think uh, most of the time people are just kind of content with kind of ready-made products for it oh i've made a uh, delicious cranberry reduction for thanksgiving this year (laughs) our next item is green bean casserole green bean casserole f tier f tier yes (laughs) it is not good god damn it it's not good (laughs) i'm sorry the only good part about it is the crunchy tops but like dude like (laughs) Uh, green beans are okay like cream of mushrooms okay but like it never it always comes out a little bit slimy yeah it is slimy. Uh, it's like very much like just like 1950s like back of a campbell's can type cooking like i i don't know man it's not it's not my favorite item it, it very much has like strong 1950s we don't really know how to cook and we're just learning how to like use products that are like pre-canned in our recipes type uh, energy i don't know yeah, I don't know. It's like, there's a lot of, like, foods that could, like, dips could usually be described as wet, but I would like them. But something about green bean casserole, it's so wet. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever had one that was, like, an elevated take on it that made it any better, really, to be honest. Like, it's just kind of a... <laughs> I don't yeah. think those ingredients need to be mixed. I think green beans taste good by themselves. I think creamy soups taste good. I'm not sure mm. we need to mix those things. <laughs> into a casserole i don't know yeah and bake it yeah so this is one where uh i told Doralee my opinion earlier today and she was upset because she really liked green bean casserole but uh it ain't it ain't it chief you know what i mean that ain't it chief all right maybe this will stir up some controversy creamed corn you know this is one i haven't typically had at my thanksgiving and i'm trying to mm. remember the last time i had it like i know i've had it before at like a potluck or something but i'm kind of failing to uh bring together a very vivid like palette into mine so i'm gonna go ahead and give it d tier for being not memorable Ooh boy e tier i'll move it down one because it's definitely worth it i would rather have turkey than cream casserole so i I give it a c tier okay 
Um, it, you know, it kind of uh, works with the natural sweetness of corn, giving it a little like a salty flavor. Uh, it's like it's a dish that's wet, like green bean casserole, but not in a way that it's upsetting. Um, you know, at my house, we usually just had corn. Like we would have just like corn, like uh, not not uh, corn on the cob, but like almost just corn. I think out of the can with maybe like a few spices on there. Interesting. I mean, I think you're like, you know, halfway to creamed corn at that point. I don't think it's that much harder to make creamed corn. I imagine it's just coming out some kind of like sauce that you put with it. I was actually just thinking about the fact that I have no idea like what the actual ingredients in creamed corn are. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's usually pretty good. It's like a and it's um it, it works as a part of the whole. It, it definitely isn't like a dish that like if I were ordering at a restaurant and I got one side to pick, I wouldn't pick creamed corn. But the fact that it works as a um a bit player in this huge plate of food I'm eating, uh, I'm fine with that. Okay. Okay. And shout out to uh, my Midwest um, hosts for Friendsgiving. So uh, these last three years in California, uh, they make a corn casserole. That is uh, apparently a big thing where they come from. And it's usually quite, quite good. All right. And then as per Paul's suggestion, we did not just put dinner rolls. We put Hawaiian king roll. <laughs> yeah. Who who makes any who uses any other type of dinner roll than Hawaiian king rolls? Have you I ever had a saying. different roll? Yeah, I had Trader Joe's rolls once for Thanksgiving. And you were so disappointed that you no longer shop at Trader Joe's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I boycott uh, everything else now. No, uh, yeah, they're good. They're very sweet. Um, but I guess that's what you like about them. Yeah. Um, I would say so. Are we are we doing the are we doing this and other breads as like one thing, or are we separating them? Yeah, no, Hawaiian King Roll is going to be the representative for all breads. Okay, because you see. Between biscuits, cornbread, and Hawaiian king rolls, the three types of breads you might encounter at Thanksgiving, I will put... The Holy Trinity. I'll put... You do need a bread on your plate. Let's get that clear. You need something on your plate. Oh, how am I going to do my little bites? Yeah, if, uh... <laughs> in that family. I would say Hawaiian king number one. That's the one I want on my plate. I'll give that a B. And I'll give the other two. If Hawaiian king isn't there, I'll give them a C if I have to like settle for a different... For a different type of uh, bread, I'll give biscuit. I'm gonna give it a bread. A C. I'm gonna give it a B for biscuit because I'm hoping it's a biscuit. Um, but if it's a Hawaiian king roll, I can work with that. And uh, like I said, it plays a really integral role into how I eat my food. So I'm gonna give it a solid B tier. Okay. Mac and cheese. S tier. S tier. Easy. <laughs> easy s tier dude mac and cheese similar to the casserole i forgot the crumblies on top like we out of here buddy oh my god dude yes you gotta have the texture contrast dude you gotta have the crumblies on top yeah absolutely like i think when i made mac and cheese i didn't make it with the crumblies because i made it in a slow cooker instead of baking it but i think this year i'm just gonna go all out like actually make a bechamel uh fucking like get the crumblies like some panko with some butter like as a crumbly on top maybe with some italian seasoning or something uh yeah mac and cheese like literally like during our grad student retreat, one of the icebreaker questions was like last meal you would eat if you were like sentenced to death or whatever. Uh, and mac and cheese was in my meal and there was only like one or two other items in there, dude. Like mac and cheese is a, is a goat. And the thing about mac and cheese is like you've been mentioning throughout this, which is like do people do elevated concepts. Mac and cheese is good if it's just like the normal mac and cheese that you would make on a Thanksgiving and it's also good if you do an elevated concept. If you do like a five cheese mac and cheese and you get a bunch Oof. of different cheeses, it's still delicious. Still, it's different, but it's always just as good. Like you can, you can do an elevated concept on mac and cheese. You can do like a garlicky mac and cheese if you want to get like really weird with it. Still good. Still delicious. 
of the things that we have mentioned so far, the only one that has entire restaurants devoted to it is mac and cheese. <laughs> I think that tells you something. That lets you know everything you need to know, people. <laughs> I think that tells you a little something. Okay, here comes one where we might have different opinions, Paul. Sweet potato casserole with the marshmallows. Ooh. Well, I don't know about with the marshmallows. I've never had marshmallows on top. I've had sweet potato casserole that's really? caramelized on top. Um, so it's like... Got... You've, you've definitely had it with like molasses and brown sugar, yeah. like just making it a little bit even sweeter. Um, I would say that's A tier. Oh, wow. I'm going E tier. Damn. Yeah, I do not really like sweet casseroles like that very much. And actually, I prefer in a pretty strong way sweet potatoes cooked in savory uh, methods. Like a sweet potato fry is uh, like much better for me than like a let's go ahead and like just ru- run amok with the slight sweetness that sweet potatoes have and dump a bunch of other shit that's sweet on them. No, I think it's delicious. It's uh, I also like a lot of things that are textured like that. I think it's more flavorful than normal uh, than normal mashed potatoes. I like it when it has like some sort of crunchy element to it, and I like it when it's like caramelized or somehow has like a smoke. I think like often it has like a smoky or a really deep flavor that goes along with it. In a lot of like uh, barbecue places, have some really great sweet potato casseroles. And wait, so Paul, you are rating sweet potato casserole over mashed potatoes? Yes, absolutely. That's insanity. That's insanity to me. <laughs> um. Just how things are, Adrian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess so. Different different palettes, different tastes. But yeah, for me, sweet potato casserole, it's something that I get myself like a one inch by two inch square of on my plate. Like it's there just kind of as a ceremonial role. I, I give a nod to its existence whenever I make my plate. As we discussed on the episode we had Sean on, as long as uh, we acknowledge that these are uh, subjective, not objective opinions, I think we're safe. So I would like you to just go ahead and uh, concede that your opinion is wrong and subjective and my opinion is objective. And we can move on. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pull out a Trump tweet. I concede nothing. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, a pumpkin pie. <laughs> I don't know why, but there was like one year at Thanksgiving where I just got really into pumpkin pie. <laughs> I would say that's between A and S here. It depends on the situation, but I- I love pumpkin pie. I love a lot of pies. Uh, I love it with cream. I love it with ice cream. I love it with green eggs. Ooh, and an L mode. What can I say? I, I do like a good, like a good amount of whipped topping on a pumpkin pie. Um, I think for me though, again with the way that my palate works, I'm more of a savory boy. I'm gonna give it a solid B tier, but respect, real, recognize, real pumpkin pie of the pies that you can have for Thanksgiving when people want to do like an apple or a pecan. I think pumpkin's the way to go. You know, I've had a lot of apple pies that I really like. I do love apple pies. Um, the, I think all the pies would, like, apple pie and pumpkin pie would be the uh, two that are A to S, and then I guess pecan would be, like, a solid, like, B, along with the other less common pies, like cherry. Um, and then, of course, the uh, F-tier pie, the number pie, which is, uh, you know, I don't want to be learning no numbers for my pie. That makes no sense. 3.14 out of my ass. <laughs> All right, and uh, if you disagree with us, uh, write it down on a piece of paper and then eat it. Timeless advice. Big facts though, Cap Adrian? If you're ever kind of not sure what to do for a potluck or a Friendsgiving, one of the easiest things is always just make a fun cocktail for everybody. And last year, one of the highlights of my Thanksgiving slash Friendsgiving meal uh, was a cranberry gin and tonic that someone brought. Uh, That was very good. 
So uh, do that. And my big fact is don't be afraid to switch up your mac and cheese with crazy different types of cheeses. Don't don't feel don't feel married to American cheese. You know, do what you want. Get get any sort of cheese in there. I mean, obviously you want a good melting gooey cheese as your base. But on top of that, you can build on that flavor. All right. Paul, All right. see you next week. Yeah, bye, buddy. It was a fun one. The Chinaman built the railroad. The Indians saved the pilgrim. And in return, the pilgrim killed him. They call it Thanksgiving. I call you holiday hell day. Because I'm for poverty, neglected by the wealthy. Me and my niggas share gifts. A day like Christmas. Slay bitches and party. A day like this is the last. I whip my heckles. Connecting them. We hitting the lab. This is my level. Fuck it, forget you mad. It's all poison. All of my words to enemies. It is poison. Rappers only talk about keys. It's all poison. How could you call yourself MCs? You ain't poison. Think about the kids you mislead with the poison and any thoughts of taking me down is all poison who want beef now my heat shall anoint them plat plat